Welcome to Fine Rambles, number 121. So I did a podcast a while back discussing, (laughs) at least as far as I understood it, the difference between guilt and shame, and how shame was not productive because if you think you're a bad person, then there's no chance at redemption. There's no point in trying to change behavior. But guilt is a very good thing because guilt is feeling bad about something you did, which means you can you can make amends. You can be redeemed. You can solve the problem or you can fix the harm you've caused and in doing so, you know, become a better person. Today, I want to talk about a similar idea, I think, and I want to to differentiate (laughs) between pride and arrogance. And, you know, the terminology here is a little strange because I think most people think that pride is bad, right? The sin of pride. But I want to use pride in a more specific way. And the way I think about this is that pride is being aligned with reality in the past. Let's say that you wanted to do something. Let's say you wanted to, I don't know, run a marathon. You found a coach and you followed a training plan and you stuck to that plan especially when you were tired or when you were a little down and you followed through and you finished the marathon. Well, in that case, you should feel pride. That's a healthy pride. Now, of course, at the same time, caveat, 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 you should acknowledge your good fortune, that you were lucky that nothing really bad happened to you while you were training. You had no serious injuries. There were no family tragedies. So yes, be grateful to the universe. Thank God, whatever term works for you. But to have pride in an accomplishment is good. It's okay. (laughs) The problem with arrogance is that, uh, how can I put this? It's 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 pride that's extrapolated into the future. It's <laughs> it's extrapolated pride. Arrogance is feeling entitled to having something happen in the future. So the actual assumption that arrogance makes is that reality will be aligned with you. That reality in the future will act how you want it to act. In the language of religion, the arrogant thinks that God takes orders. (laughs) But God does not take orders. And when we act as though he does, that's that's when we get a fall. So let's play this out. What happens when the universe disagrees with us, when reality pushes back, when God punishes us? Well, if we're acting out of ego, if we're acting out of arrogance, we don't accept that feedback. We deny reality. We, we reject God. We dig in. <laughs> we, get, we get resentful. <laughs> Have you ever stubbed your toe 
on a chair. And then, you know, you're hopping around in pain, swearing. And then in anger, you kick the chair. (laughs) It's like that. It's like that. We get angry at reality. But instead of adjusting, instead of correcting course, we act stubbornly. And then we get more out of sync. Things get worse. Reality, unfortunately, really is a judge. You have to submit to reality. Again, in the language of religion, I think they would say, if you want to improve, you have to obey God. And I balk instinctively from these terms, right? Submission, obedience. But I think at a certain level, they're correct. It's a really unpalatable truth. And it does fly in the face of the modern, I don't know, do whatever you want-ism. But it's the truth. So incorporating the feedback of reality is necessary. Now, there's two ways to view that feedback. We can view it as the crushing hand of the tyrant or the guiding hand of the father. And I think the lens of grace is the correct lens. And I think anyone who has kids would agree. Parents correct their children out of love. Your parents want what's best for you. In the same way, I think the universe wants what's best for you. Both your parents and the universe want you to become your best self. Now, if this wasn't dorky enough, let's get super dorky, (laughs) okay? (laughs) All right. So there's a constant debate in morality about which approach is better, utilitarianism or deontology. Now, I know these are long words, and I always struggle to remember what they mean, but utilitarianism basically means do whatever has the best outcome, maximize utility. It's a consequentialist approach. It says, look at the results, and that's how you know if the action taken was right or wrong. Now, deontology is basically follow the rules. It's built on the idea of duty or obligation. And here's (laughs) here's the thing. Utilitarianism sounds so much better. Of course, you want to do whatever will have the best outcome. Of course. And deontology sounds wrong. I mean, come on. How can you possibly apply rules to every situation, to unique situations? And so most people tend to be utilitarians. They tend to believe that utilitarianism is clearly the right approach. They're wrong. Those people are wrong. Utilitarianism is wrong. Utilitarianism is terrible and awful and horrible and destructive. Why, Matt? Well, because utilitarianism is arrogant. It's breathtakingly arrogant. How in the name of all that is holy do you think you know which action will have the best result? Do you really think your model of the universe is so perfect that you can foresee all the consequences of your actions and their second-order effects and their third-order effects? Really? Really, you can see that far into the future. What utter bullshit. Now, think about deontology. How were the rules 
created? I don't know. But here's how they're not created. They're not created by someone sitting down and just writing them out. They're not invented. They're discovered. Rules or laws are emergent. They emerge from thousands and thousands of years of human experience. Let's take uh, Mosaic Law. The laws of Moses emerged from judges watching generations of human behavior and seeing what kind of behavior enabled groups to survive without tearing themselves apart. And to say that those laws were given by God is true if we think of God as a metaphor for reality itself. Now, the laws of Moses or, or the Analects of Confucius or the teachings of Jesus are evolutionarily robust, and they're very similar. Okay, so Rabbi Hillel said, what is hateful to you, do not do unto your neighbor. That is the whole Torah, while the rest is commentary. Confucius said, never impose on others what you would not choose for yourself. And Jesus said, in everything, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. So this rule, the golden rule, the silver rule, it transcends culture, or religion. It's, it's Lindy. It has survived the harshest judge, the test of time. And nowhere, nowhere does it say, do this except when you think breaking the rule will turn out better in the end because you know better. There's no footnote to the Ten Commandments that says, except when you really, really want to. Because, come on, guys, we can always figure out a good reason to do what we really want to do, (laughs) right? We're experts at that. We're experts at thinking of a reason that makes it necessary to do what we want. Think about a world where everyone was a utilitarian, okay? Imagine a world where everyone just ignored the rule of law and just did whatever they thought was a good idea. How do you think that world would look? when every man was a law unto himself. Does that sound like a safe world? Does that sound like a stable world? Does that sound like a free world? No, there would be no safety. There would be no freedom. All right, (laughs) that's all I've got. I'll catch you next week.